the time of the Buddha was a very spiritually fertile time. There were so many different teachers around. The Buddha is very well known now. But in his time, there were other famous teachers and they had all kinds of different philosophies and religions and spiritual ideas. There were nihilists and materialists and fatalists and then, of course, the Brahmins. So all kinds of different and sometimes contradictory teachings. Some would teach the efficacy of action. They would teach that good actions is good karma with a happy result, bad actions. They will have painful result in the future. Others denied that there is any effect of one's action. Some believed in other beings like spirits and devas. Some were pure materialists. They didn't believe in any of that. So in, the, in that situation, an important question is, now how do you figure out what is actually true? Now can we discern what is truth? Or can we distinguish the fake from real? And I think that is something which is also very relevant in our times. There's uh, so much information, not just spiritual teachings. There's a tremendous amount of uh, information, theories, dogmas, political ideas floating around nowadays. And uh, it's not always easy to tell what is fake and what is real. Once the Buddha had a discussion with a young Brahman scholar, Chunky is a Chunky Sutta number 95 in Manikaya, in the middle length discourses. And when the Buddha asked him about the teachings, the spiritual teachings of the Brahmins, the young man explains that the Brahman have faith in a kind of lineage of outstanding teachers. And he explains how the lineage reaches back from one teacher to the other. But when the Buddha asked whether any of these teachers in that lineage actually has claimed that they truly know and see, that they have really realized what they are teaching there, the young Bachman student has to admit that none of them had that. So the Buddha gives a simile of a line of blind people. It doesn't really help you if you're following a line of people and if the first one is blind, and in particular if they're all blind, then the whole lineage is not really reliable. And then the, the young Brahman points out, yeah, it's not only about lineage, it's all about faith. And uh, the Buddha gives a nice explanation about five things that can turn out differently regarding, in particular, spiritual teachings, but also regarding any other views, theories, opinions. 
Now, the first one is simply faith. We may believe something because we have faith in it. For example, in my case, I have great faith that the Buddha was fully enlightened, that he had realized Nibbana and attained the true awakening. But I would have to admit that it's not something I know with absolute certainty. It's something that I have faith in. And I have faith in that the Buddha could recollect past lives and his own past lives for 91 eons, because that is what he himself said. But how, how can I totally verify that? It's ultimately a matter of faith. The second one is simply liking, something that is pleasing to us, something that is agreeable, and certain views and opinions that we may simply like. But it doesn't necessarily mean that it's true, isn't it? The third one is tradition. Maybe one can also include authority. This is what the Pope says, so it must be correct. There's belief in tradition, belief in authority, belief in a certain scripture. This is what it says in the Bible. So it must be right. That is said. Complete conviction due to tradition or authority. Number four, the Buddha calls Arkada Parivitaka. It is rational. It is something which you investigate with the intellect and that particular view or teaching opinion that appears reasonable, makes sense. No contradiction, you can logically analyze it. I think quite a few of the well-known philosophers and philosophies may appeal to that. It's quite an elaborate mental edifice and it all fits together logically. But doesn't necessarily mean that it's true because they can't be all true. There are all these amazing, rational and reasonable philosophies, but they contradict each other. So although they look very reasonable and rational, it would be impossible that they are all true. And the last one, Ditti Nichana Kanti, the Bhikkhu Bodhi translates that, for example, as a reflective acceptance. So that seems to be a combination of intuition, reflection, rational analysis, and maybe even some meditation. Nichana, that has already jhana, the term for meditation, in there. And this is also how we can accept a certain view, a certain position. What the Buddha points out is that I may feel that something is very reasonable and rational and logic, logical, but in the end it turns out not to be false. 
or I analyze something and it may not make sense to me, and maybe even something like physics, uh, quantum dynamics, may not appear rational to me because my physical understanding is insufficient, my understanding of physics and mathematics, but it may well be true. So now it can have these two outcomes, now you can't really fully rely on that. And even the reflective acceptance, now if I have reflected on it, contemplated it, meditated about it, and then come to an intuitive acceptance, now even that can go wrong. I may accept it, it's false, or I may reject it, but it is true. The first thing the Buddha recommends is that we should protect truth. We should guard truth. Sachanu Vakana. And how we do how do we do that? Now, we are not simply claiming that only this is true and everything else is false. And one can sometimes openly state, now this is what I have faith in. There's no way how I can absolutely prove to you or absolutely discern whether the Buddha had all the psychic powers which he claims. And if I now state that the Buddha had all psychic powers, he could fly and walk on water, he could read the minds of other beings, he could see where other beings are reborn, only this is true and everything else is absolutely false. I'm actually not really protecting truth. Because how would I know it? I shouldn't explain which of these five I'm basing that on. And in this case it would be mostly based on faith, also partially you know, on uh, rational analysis because you know, the teaching, including the psychic powers, is all very logic and it fits together. Also on reflective acceptance, you know, but it's not something I know in an absolute sense. Or maybe giving them, a, let's say, take an example which is more everyday in a Bitcoin. Nowadays, usually you have these different factions and they seem to be living in different universes, also politically. Let's say Bitcoin, and some people will say that Bitcoin is the future of money and soon it will be all on blockchain and one Bitcoin will be one million dollars. Then there are other people were saying the Bitcoin is just fake, it's just one big bubble, has no intrinsic value, and as soon it will all collapse and it will be worth nothing. And usually when you find in the discussion that they both claim that they know it absolutely. This is the future of money, will be super valuable. Only that is true, all else is nonsense. Or the opposite, now, this is only fake, no intrinsic value, soon it will be just nothing. 
Only this is true. All else is nonsense. They're not protecting truth. Else they would explain what they are basing that on. They would explain that this is my opinion based on this rational analysis. Or this is my opinion just because I like it, because I'm holding Bitcoin and the value goes up, so obviously like it. And then out of liking it comes. So we would all find it easier to get on with each other if we can protect truth by not claiming the absolute statements but by being a bit humble and acknowledging that I usually base it on one of these five things and that they are not absolutely reliable. And then the next question is, now how do we figure out what is really true, in, for example, in terms of spiritual teachings? Or, for example, in terms of Bitcoin, if you want to invest? And what the Buddha here recommends for a spiritual teacher is actually the personal qualities of that teacher to make that a crucial criterion. And if there's a spiritual teacher, then you wonder, is what they are teaching actually true? That the Buddha recommends one should investigate that teacher, whether there are any states of greed, desire, passion that can be discerned in that teacher. And then maybe based on that greed, desire, this teacher may claim, I see when he doesn't really see. He may claim that they know when they don't really know. Based on greed. For example, they want many disciples, or they want financial support, or they want uh, respect and adoration and honor. And because of that, they tell people what they want to hear. (laughs) Because if you tell people what they don't want to hear, you may not have so many disciples. I think many psychics function like that. Have you ever been to a psychic? You're missing your late mother, you're missing your doggy. You know you want to find out whether you can make contact with that spirit and you go to a psychic. If the psychic is smart, many of them, they figure out quickly what you would like to hear. And then they'll tell you. When they tell you what you would like to hear, same about your future. Do you ever go to astrologer and psychics to ask about your future, fortune tellers? If they predict you all kinds of bad things going to happen all the time, you're unlikely to go back. But if it's a beautiful fairy tale, that you win the lottery one day, or get this perfect job, and then this perfect partner, you may like it a lot, and then you go back and you're happy to pay them. 
So this is how it teaches. And I may tell you what is not true. I may tell you what is false and based on desire because I want support. So we have to you know, carefully investigate. And the Buddha has also pointed out that you have to do that for quite some time. Can't really tell when you meet a person the first time, small talk at a party. After 10 minutes small talk, you can't really discern whether they have strong desires. But only once we know someone for years, and once we had an interaction, once we see them in misfortune, in difficult, stressful situations, once you have dealings with them, they're trying to do business. And only if you investigate them with wisdom and mindfulness and carefully, then you can figure that out. And the same with uh, aversion, anger, hatred. So not only investigating that spiritual teaching or that particular theory or that advice or that piece of news or information or data but investigating the source this is actually a very dumber approach looking for causes and conditions and if there's a certain claim a certain theory a certain opinion a certain scientific study and a certain data if we can look where does it come from from what person from what institution but a person is usually better it's easier to investigate a person and then if we figure out that the person who has brought out that theory that opinion that claim is actually full of anger and hatred. What does it mean? It immediately puts doubt on whatever that person puts out. And all the spiritual teachings you get from that person immediately, you can't really trust them so easily. Because maybe they just don't like you and then they encourage something that is harmful for you. Maybe they have a strong aversion and anger and what they put out is actually serving that to harm others. And the third one is delusion. Some people may not have any desire that causes them to claim or teach nonsense. Neither have they any strong anger or hatred that causes them to teach nonsense or to claim nonsense. But they may simply have ignorance, delusion, or be confused, not really having a clue. I think this is very common nowadays because everyone seems to be thinking nowadays that they really know and and proffering their opinion on anything. 
And then when we have seen, after careful investigation, after mindful observation for a long time and interacting with that person and seeing their whole environment and social surroundings, seeing them in difficult and stressful situations, maybe also seeing them once they are famous, because that is also how people can change. Someone may be a good teacher as long as they're not famous. But once they become famous or in worldly life powerful, they may change and they may get corrupted by that. But once we have now investigated and we have clearly seen, there's nothing really we can discern that seems to be based on desire and passion. Nothing on the side of anger, aversion, hatred, and nothing that indicates delusion, ignorance, confusion. And then one can gain the initial faith. And based on that initial faith, the one traditionally one comes, pays respects, one starts to associate and starts hanging out with that person and starts to listen, starts to remember. And nowadays, not just listening, of course, also reading, watching videos, starts to remember, one starts to investigate, to weigh, to practice it, and then to check out whether any results come in from practicing what that teacher teaches. And in this way, we build up faith and get a teaching that is truly beneficial. And that applies to spiritual teachers, that is what the Buddha was mostly concerned about, but I think we can also use it in our time and age, where we have so much fake news, in inverted commas, and official news, but maybe sometimes the official news are also fake. Maybe the fake is sometimes true. And where we have people on social media putting out their opinion, their view, and sharing, and then it's on video. So I would recommend that approach. Not just looking at the content. So you get some content, some claim, some even a scientific paper. some news, some data point, some opinion, not just looking at the content, but looking at from who does that come, who is putting that out, and then to investigate that person. And here we already see the first problem, a lot of the stuff we get from the internet so someone has a YouTube channel, so you get their YouTube videos where they claim this or that, have this theory or this opinion, claim that this is fact and that is true and this is fake. But what do we really know about them? You can go to the YouTube channel, you can click on about, maybe they give you a few sentences, 
That is very different from knowing someone personally. And I would suggest for that very reason that we have to be very careful with all the information which comes from someone where we have never met them in the flesh. There's just some uh, videos on YouTube. How can we truly discern whether that person has got uh, these qualities of anger, hatred, aversion, desire, passion, delusion? And to some extent you may see it in the video. True enough. So it's not just the content, but look at the person who is speaking. On Twitter you don't even have a video and you've got a little two sentences on the profile page and from that trying to figure it out. And a good one is often uh, desire. It's usually about money. So if we notice you know, that whether it's a spiritual teaching or anything else, you know, that the money is very much in the foreground. And you get a little bit of a teaching and then when you pay much more, then you get the advanced teachings. And once you pay for the advanced teachings, you know, then you come to hear that there's the ultra-advanced teachings, but they are really expensive. And immediately, to my mind, that would immediately ring an alarm bell, because that indicates the desire of someone's money. It's also striking to me that many people nowadays seem to have faith if someone is young attractive, handsome, good-looking, beautiful, and a celebrity. This is the people who get paid so much money for advertising, because if they are young, attractive, beautiful, handsome, and a celebrity, and they tell you that they are eating this kind of food, or they're using this kind of gadget, and people seem to be happy to believe it and buy it. But does that really indicate that they are wise and know what they're talking about? Is that really correlated? Is it the young and pretty ones and the ones who are celebrities who truly know what is beneficial and wholesome and good? I'm not so convinced about that. It's not necessarily a contradiction. Someone may be beautiful and still very wise, but certainly not a real correlation there. So I would encourage everyone to rather look at what the Buddha pointed out. Does the person show desire, greed? Do they show anger, hatred? Do they manifest delusion, ignorance? And then there's no point in having faith in them. There's no point in whatever they put out 
Uh, maybe better not to go to another source which is more reliable. Because whatever the data, facts, and so on that they are putting out is kind of tainted by the qualities of the person who is doing that. As even for scientific studies, now the good ones they usually you can check because they have to declare conflicts of interest. And if I'm a scientist and I get paid by a big company, then I'm probably no longer so objective. If Damagibi is paying a scientist to somehow do a study that the Buddha was truly enlightened and more enlightened than all other teachers. <laughs> Is that study immediately very convincing if it's paid from a Buddhist institution? Immediately you start doubting. So that is the one recommendation I would give to everyone where we are in this situation where you are flooded with all kinds of information and some of it is claiming that they are absolutely true and they are everything else is false to look into it what is the source of it what is the person and are they involved with states of greed, hatred and delusion, or are they free from it? The same with a spiritual teacher. Even within Buddhism there's so many different subgroups and Mahayana, Theravada, Vajrayana and, and even Theravadas and different traditions and different techniques. This is why I found the Thai Force tradition so inspiring. A couple of the outstanding teachers I've met, they were personally incredibly convincing and I couldn't find, couldn't really see in the states of greed, hatred or delusion. And then the moment that happens now, I have a completely different conviction and commitment to the teaching I get from that person. I must even admit, uh, when I first read something from Lumpur Sumedho, Ajahn Sumedho, the most senior Western disciple of Ajahn Chah, it didn't really strike me so much. It was good Buddhist teaching, but it didn't really hit me, so to speak. But after I've met him the first time in 2009 and uh, saw his the personal behavior and uh, the personal qualities, 
that is the other one. We can not only look for the lack of bad qualities, we can also investigate the source of a certain teaching or a certain view and opinion. That person, we can investigate them for the presence of wholesome mind states, the calm, compassion, the being peaceful, being kind, being patient. And Lumpur uh, Samida was very, very impressive from personal interaction. And immediately then the teachings really hit me in a much more profound way. Because now the face was much stronger and seeing that someone represents what they're teaching. That someone has many good qualities, can't really see much bad qualities. And then the faith and the conviction to the teaching is immediately much stronger. And I wouldn't go just by authority, just because it's the Pope or the Dalai Lama or the biggest television station or a great celebrity or some big name or some supposedly great qualification, all of that can be corrupted. Because what comes from a mind that is very pure and will be pure in itself, what comes from a mind or institution that is corrupted, will be corrupted in itself. When we look at the source, then we can recognize also another quality of what is coming out of that source. It's like you have a stream running into a pond. And if the stream is dirty and polluted and smelly, stinky, do you think the pond will be very beautiful and clean and fresh? Probably not. Ne? If the pond is fed by a dirty, polluted, stinking stream, then the pond will be the same. And if a person is uh, corrupt or deluded, full of greed and hatred, or an institution is corrupt, deluded, only concerned about money, then the whatever comes out from there is the same. So whenever we find something where the source is very pure, that is what we really go for. And then with the Buddha, if we study about him and we see how consistent all his teachings are, and if we see now how he behaved, unfortunately we still have a fairly good report of that. Now then we can notice, now at least to me, and it's very convincing, this is how someone acts and behaves consistently from all the reports we have. Now it truly is pure in the heart, and then the teaching is also pure.
No, like uh, I haven't met Ajahn Chah, but his successor, Lumpur Liam, I've met him quite a few times, and he was here at Amagiri even three times. I saw him additionally overseas, also in Amaravati in England. I've, I've never ever seen him angry at all. Not even the slightest bit, and even in extremely stressful situations which other people would see as stressful. I've never seen him doing anything that indicates any greed. He's incredible content. And even the Kuti where he lives, only recently I heard that he's actually under Ajahn Chah's Kuti. One of the later ones. Ajahn Chah had a very simple Kuti, but later when he was older and not so well, they built a really nice big one for him. And when we meet Lung Liam, he's always under the Kuti. Is on posts, so I've got this nice, cool area underneath. And only beginning of this year, I heard from a Thai monk who has been close to him and uh, attending on him that he actually never uses Ajahn Chah's kuti and he lives only underneath. And the nice room upstairs and the air conditioning and the, the uh, fancy bathroom and so on, he, he doesn't touch it at all. He just left it the way Ajahn Chah had left it behind, and he lives just underneath the kuti. And it took me, and I know him for more than 10 years, and it took me more ten, than 10 years not to even come to know that. I assumed this is just where he receives uh, visitors, and then in the evening he goes up and lives in the nice kuti. The reality is that in the evening he rolls out a mat and puts up a mosquito net, and then just sleeps under the mat, under the mosquito net. And it's all open on all sides. It doesn't even have any privacy. And people you know, from 50 meters away, they could see him there. And there's only a very simple bathroom there. And in thunderstorms, you know, the water would be blown in. And the monk you know, who told me that he... Uh, finally managed to get permission from him to uh, put a kind of additional veranda roof, transparent veranda roof, you know, that uh, the, the rain doesn't get blown in. And uh, he used to have only one box for his possessions. And we have a cupboard. He's one of the most highly venerated uh, meditation masters in Thailand. A senior monk, he has got actually a diplomatic passport even. Because sometimes for the very outstanding monks in Thailand, they give them the diplomatic passport that they don't have any hassle in, in immigration. Although he usually uses his normal passport. And uh, every evening he just you know, puts out his mat, his, <laughs> his mosquito net, and sleeps you know, and under this open space under the kuti. <laughs> And then this monk uh, built him with some cupboards, that he had at least some cupboards, and he built them in such a way that he also has a little bit more like private area where you cannot just look inside from all around. But from that, now I gathered that he obviously doesn't have much greed. A greedy person wouldn't live like that. And he's a, he's a building master. And at the same time where he lived under that kuti, he has built I don't know how many big dhamma halls, 
in Nongpa Pong in Nanachat and other monasteries no, as a main architect and a building engineer. So he has all the skills, he has all the support no, that he could build himself in a very fancy kuti. I just didn't do it. So I never saw him angry. I saw these things, this uh, complete self-effacement and then many, many other things. And then the teaching uh, to me is uh, incredibly powerful. I can go on YouTube or Instagram and I can see people who are more beautiful in terms of physical attractiveness, younger and prettier than Numpolian. And quite a few in a giving teachings as well. But somehow it doesn't reach my heart in the same way. Because now what, what have they really got to offer in terms of you know, outstanding qualities and in terms of freedom from greed, hatred and delusion? Okay, a few remarks on trying to discern in a time and age when many people, many famous institutions, many you know, big, powerful institutions and governments are claiming this is true or the rest is false. In a time when many different teachers, spiritual teachers are claiming that, you know, how can we protect truth and how can we discern truth by looking at the person who is making these claims and then investigating whether they are free from greed, hate or delusion and whether they are manifesting wholesome qualities like kindness, compassion, patience, wisdom, mindfulness, insight, understanding and then using that as a criterion. What do you think? Any comments or any questions? Do you sometimes feel uncertain or confused and which teachers are the real ones? Which one is the fake news? Which one is the real news? What is fact? What is fake? Someone is just sharing that, uh, for example, in Sri Lanka, there is apparently some monks who are claiming that anapanasati doesn't really mean mindfulness of in and out breath, but something different, or anicca doesn't mean impermanent, but it means actually something quite different. And I totally agree, and it can be very difficult to discern the truthfulness if you only look at the content of the teaching. Because some people are incredibly smart and then they can present you a very well-reasoned, logical, smart and in itself somewhat consistent teaching. But a good way can be in just looking at the monk who is giving this teaching. And does that monk manifest states of greed, hate, with delusion? Or does that monk manifest in the states of mindfulness, calm, self-effacement, contentment, simplicity, 
easy to look after wisdom, understanding, knowledge. For me, that is very powerful. The moment I see that the person doesn't have no real integrity or the institution, however big or powerful or highly respected, doesn't matter to me once I notice that there's no integrity and insteadness and maybe greed, just money, just more money. Instead, there's just aversion, anger. And then whatever comes out from that, I'm no longer really interested. However complex or elaborated it is. And just like with this simile, you know, from when, when the spring is dirty, the stream is dirty, and whatever pond it goes in it will also be dirty. Most people get stuck in the content of the teaching. They only look at the content there. And we're living in times never that is presented brilliantly. All these young influencers, they know how to design a website. They know how to present themselves on uh, on video to look really good and attractive there. Lumpur Liam is the opposite. It's very difficult to photograph him because he's not immediately looking, smiling, knowing exactly what is your best angle where you look in the most convincing and then this perfect politician's smile. With some politicians, and I'm really impressed. They can, at any moment, they can put this smile onto their face and it just looks so nice. This is such a nice. <laughs> it's often false. And if you in the look, you know, for example, one quality is in the lying. Now, the Buddha pointed out, for a person who has just transgressed the one Dhamma, namely lying without regard for future results, lying without shame, lying without any uh, faith or fear that there is some bad karma in it, that person is capable to do any evil. So this, for example, is a very good criterion for me. And then once... I feel very clear, and we have clear evidence, this person has been lying, and maybe even repeatedly. It doesn't really matter to me anymore what is their titles, what is their qualifications, their degrees, what kind of powerful institution or media conglomerate do they run, what kind of powerful company, whether they are president or prime minister or premier or king or queen or whatever, and once it's clearly discerned they are liars, the Buddha said, this person, there's no evil they can't do if they lie without shame, if they lie without regard for future karmic consequences. That's just one example now you can easily disqualify. And then they can put out the most elaborate teaching which has so many complicated intellectual sophistications and reasoning in it. For me, it immediately collapses because the source is impure. That impurity will always be in the teaching.
as someone is sharing the one thing which put them off from a teaching, which also seems to be somewhat unusual, is that uh, the monk teaching that was making very sarcastic and sneering remarks about other monks who have a different view. And I agree, now this is an indication usually of the states on the side of dosa, of aversion, anger, hatred, because sneering and sarcastic remarks in particular directed to a person indicate that. And it's possible, even if you're convinced that others are teaching something wrong, you can just focus on teaching what is correct. It's not even necessary you know, to point, constantly point out and you know, criticizing someone. Unfortunately, what I see you know, in politics is often, again, exactly the same thing. There's often the most successful campaigns where they're not even saying much positive, but just constantly attacking the other one. And you've got these awful com campaigns you know, where two candidates spend their time you know, running each other down. But that seems to win elections. But it indicates you know, simply that you know, both people who are engaging in, in that are you know, both not very convincing. They seem to be influenced by states you know, of uh, aversion, anger, hatred. As someone points out, there's a traditional Aditana resolution many Buddhists make. By the power of my good karma, so someone makes an act of good karma, meditating or offering food or other things to the Sangha, and then they make a resolution, by the power of the good karma I'm making, may I in the future, future rebirth, always be associated with wise people, not with fools. And I agree that that will have some impact because whether you bump into a fool or a wise person by chance, so to speak, it's actually not chance, but it's your karma. And if you make that resolution and if you make lots of good karma, then one result of that is that you will meet wise people in the future. However, it will not get you fully out of the duty to still in the use wise investigation to really figure out because else you may meet the wise person and think they are a fool and you may meet the fool and think they are wise so you cannot only rely there on past karma but you do have to investigate when you meet someone whether they have the qualities of a satang satang samaga mohuti they have the quality of a person of integrity, of an authentic person. I'm just stunned nowadays people seem to be the opposite. No, they, they like, the more fake, the better they like it. <laughs> okay, I shouldn't hold you too long. And maybe all have the wisdom to discern fake from real and uh, to noble and advanced and pure spiritual teacher from fake ones. <laughs>